Once again, it's a privilege to be here. Um, and, you know, I've always said that uh, power that you don't abuse isn't really worth having. So um, I'm going to indulge myself for a moment and give a recommendation to someone in this congregation who runs a website called Lighting the Lamp. And what she does is she takes notes on the sermons and publishes them. Now, if you're listening to a sermon here and you go, oh, what was it he said about? You can look it up. So I do recommend it. So there you go. It's called Lighting the Lamp and well worth a watch, well worth a look. Be that as it may, we are now, and I, I was, look, I was it. I, I admit, I was in a bit of a quandary. Do I, you know, do a Christmassy sort of a message or do I stick with what I'm doing? And, you know, I decided I'm going to stick with what I've been preaching on and continue on. So, those of you who've been listening and noticing would, would know that we are going through what is commonly called in terms Passion Week. Okay? The last week of the Lord Jesus' life. We started, remember, the Sabbath night meal and the anointing by Mary. Anointing for his death. The Sunday triumph of Palm Sunday. Monday morning, the cursing of the fig tree. It is now Monday proper. Monday lunchtime, afternoon, whatever. And our Lord is now coming into the temple. And we're going to be using as the, the main text that we're working from, Mark chapter 11. Okay? And we'll just have a, have a quick read through this first. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. Before we go any further... Before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your instruction, for your teaching, for your blessing. And we pray now that you might open our hearts and minds. Teach us, Lord, the wondrous things you have in your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 11, verse, starting at verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and saw how they might destroy him. For they fear him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. So, if you were to read Matthew and Luke, you would find a very, very similar account. However, if you read the Gospel of John, you find a slightly different account. Let's turn over to John chapter 2. 
John chapter 2. John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. When he had made a, made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence and make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and thou wilt rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. Therefore, When therefore he was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said unto them this, that Remember, he had said this unto them. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, the question we have to first of all have a look at is, are these the same incident? Now, some people say they are. (coughs) And some people say they're not. If they're not, what was happening here well I don't really care too much what people say I'm more interested in what does the scripture say so the details in these two passages are different for instance John mentions the whip no one else does that's not conclusive the rebukes are different For John says, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. You know know what the word merchandise is? Emporious. Emporium. That's where we get the word from. You, You want to go to the emporium? Well, you're going to a Greek shopping center. That's what it is. For John says... Don't make it a house of merchandise, literally an emporium. Matthew, Mark and Luke say, don't make it a den of thieves. Now, there are those amongst us who would say the difference between a modern supermarket and a den of thieves is really only minor. But really, the words are quite, quite different. (coughs) The Old Testament quotes are different, and that gets to me to be more significant. For John quotes Psalm Psalm 69, verse 9. The others quote Isaiah 56, verse 7, and Jeremiah 7, 11. That's more of an important thing to me, that the quotes used around these passages are different. The next thing is interesting is that in John, the authorities confront Jesus immediately, saying, what are you doing here? In Matthew, Mark and Luke, they plot behind his back. So there's a difference there. However, there are a couple of other things which are even more significant to my mind. If you look in John chapter 6, in fact, we'll just have a quick look at that. John chapter 6, and it's just one or two words here. 
John chapter 6, verse 4, it says, And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Then keep turning over to John chapter 11, verse 55. John chapter 11, verse 55, it says, And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. You see? John mentions three separate Passovers, indicating that either John had a really, really bad way of keeping dates, or that there were three Passovers or three years involved here, and that this happened at the first Passover. Now I'm starting to say, okay, we've got some good, sound scriptural evidence here. But there's one more. And I think this pretty much does nail it. The temple was in a constant state of renovation. Herod never really got round to finishing the thing until just before Titus destroyed it in 70 AD. It was always work going on in the temple. And it's interesting here that John 2.20 says, Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. Forty-six years. We know that Herod did not begin to renovate the temple any later than 18 BC. In fact, probably earlier he started it. He had to have been started by 18 BC. That means 46 years later is 28 AD, possibly 27 AD. Way too early. <coughs> Way too early to be the Passion Week Passover. Clearly. The answer to this question is, these are two separate incidents. That Jesus cleansed the temple once at the beginning of his ministry, and then again at the end. Now you think, well, why didn't the others mention it? Well, there are lots of things they didn't mention. And, and I'll... I'll, I'll Put something to you that you should always, always remember, when, especially when you're reading John. And I'll, I'll, I'll pose it as a, um, an analogy. Let us suppose that my good friend up in Lavington, Gavin Jekyll, decided to write a history of the early times of Victoria Baptist Bible College. Fine. He was there, was he not? Good. Would I be interested? Very much so. Then let's suppose that oh, um, Carl James decided to write a history of early days of Victoria Baptist Bible College. Yeah, I'd be interested. And then my other good friend, John Flack, who was also there, wrote one. You would have three books written by three eyewitnesses. Let us then suppose that someone came to me and said, you know, Al... You were there when these things happened. I said, well, yes, I was. I was the young guy at that stage. I was the kid. And they said to me, why don't you write what happened? 
Well, you know what I would do? I would get those three books and I would read them. And then if I wrote stuff, I would write, write about the stuff that isn't in the others. Oh, sure, I'd have to cover much of the same material, but I'd be writing down the stories and the incidents and the things that are not written down by the others. Deliberately. That's what I would be doing. Because I'd be going, well, the other guys have covered it already. I want to cover the things that's not there. This, I believe, is pretty much the situation that John was in. He was the kid, the young guy, when these, were these things were happening. He's now an old man. He's read the other three. And he's going, you know, they missed some bits. So when I'm writing, I'm going to be deliberately including stuff that they don't include. He's going to go, they didn't mention Nicodemus. What a thing to leave out. I've got to put that in. And so that's why I always, I'm encouraged by the fact that John's gospel is so different to the others. Because it shows a person who's saying, oh, let's fill in some of the gaps. And this is one of the gaps. Not mentioned by the others, but clearly mentioned by John. So, this is relation to what we're looking at. Hang on, now let's, let's point it, put a point in here. I want to make it now as well. How quickly, how quickly had the temple returned to a state of worldliness? Two years after being cleansed, being fixed up, being told this is the wrong thing to be doing in the temple, they're back at it again. Yeah, oh, what, a, what an indictment on these people that... The Lord comes and cleanses them. Truly, as it says in Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog returning to its vomit, these people are back in their sins again. And it's worse. It's worse. You know, there's a, there's a lesson here about getting yourself cleaned up. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, says this. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. When he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. And then, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man shall be worse than the first. Even so shall be unto this wicked generation. Well, you know, that's pretty much what had happened. The, the temple had been cleaned, had it been swept, garnished, told this is the way you should do it. And the evil had come back even worse. For at the first, it was a house of merchandise. Well, that's bad enough. The second time, it's a den of thieves. It's even worse than it was the first time. How did it get to be so bad? What was going wrong here? Why was the temple become a den of thieves? 
you came to the temple to worship. And one of the major parts of worship for the Old Testament is to offer a sacrifice. Okay? You, you offer a sacrifice. The most common sacrifice was a lamb. But many other things were there. Rams, bulls, goats, pigeons. There were many things that were sacrificed. There were non-living sacrifices. Sacrifices of grain, oil, wine. Yeah, lots of things were sacrificed. So, there is one thing though that is always important about a sacrifice. Always the same. Never changes. That is, it must be without blemish. Okay? A sacrifice must be without blemish. Look over in... Um, yeah, well, don't bother to look over. But look. If you take your time sometime. Look through Leviticus. Okay? Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 5. And on and on and on. You read there about the sacrifices. And there's one constant thing. Always the same. No matter what the animal is, it's without blemish. Okay? Now, who's going to say that an animal is without blemish. What's the definition of without blemish? If I bring a lamb and it's white but it's got some black spots on it, is that a blemish? Who's to say? If I bring a red heifer and it's got one white hair, is that without blemish? What's the definition of without blemish? Well, who's going to accept the sacrifice anyhow? Who's going to say, yeah, you can sacrifice that animal? Well, the priests would. And they were the ones who defined without blemish. Well, what a terrible thing it would be if you select your lamb and you tuck it under your arm and you come all the way to the, uh, the temple and the priest goes, nah, not up to scratch. That's a blemish. Ah. So you could buy in the temple forecourt animals guaranteed to be without blemish. Already been checked by the priests. And you'd think, ah, oh, well, that's convenient, isn't it? Yes. Very convenient for the people who are buying and selling the animals because they were licensed to be there. And licenses come with a cost. And who produced the licenses? Ananias, the high priest. This was a religious money-making exercise. Run from the office and the house of the high priest. Not just was it wrong... They were, they were extortioners. They were charging way too much for these animals. You know who suffered here? The poor people. The people who travelled long distance. The people who couldn't afford to bring an animal with them. And especially, you notice how many times doves were mentioned? There were two groups who sacrificed doves. Two groups. Poor people who couldn't afford the lamb and women. Women 
the, the majority of the sacrifices listed for women are doves. They were extorting from the poor and from the women. You have to remember too that in the New Testament times, the term poor and widow were virtually synonymous. These were poor people who were trying to do the right thing, trying to do what God called them to do, and the priests were in the road. And Jesus didn't like it. Now, I'll tell you something. This, this is interesting, and it's a little digression, but it doesn't really matter. One of my favourite authors, amongst, amongst others, and, and look, I don't agree with everything he says, but one of my favourite authors is a guy named Yancey. And Yancey will ask you the questions that you don't want asked sometimes when he's writing. And very disturbing to read him sometimes, but you realise, well, he's hammering away at something you should be thinking about. One of the things Phil Yancey says is that when he was younger, he had this image of, of Jesus as being the super cool, always in control dude. A bit like, you know... Dr. Spock on Star Trek, never got angry, never got upset, always had it under control. Then he realised when he read the New Testament that he wasn't like that at all. You've got to understand, when he came into the temple and he looked around, he was furious. This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is angry Jesus and he's not happy at what he sees. So that's just a, a thing, you know, you Jesus got angry, he got upset, he got tired, sometimes he got grumpy. And when he did, you didn't want to be on the receiving end of what he'd say because it would cut right to the bone. Remember he turned to his own disciples and said, you know, you faithless lot, how long do I have to put up with you? How's that, how's that for a, um, um, an inspiring speech if you're the head of an organisation? Maybe you should try that next time. Yeah, next time when you're coming to give, a, give a, 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 an encouragement message to your, your employees, look at them and go, you worthless, faithless lot, how long am I going to have to put up with you people? I think the answer is not long. <laughs> but that's, that was just to, to understand that Jesus was angry here when he came in to this to the temple. Let's look for a minute at one of the other groups that were there. The money changers. The money changes. You might ask yourself, why do you need money changes in a temple? You can understand for the sacrifice, yeah, you've got to get your lamb, your bullock, your doves, yep, okay. Why do you need money changes in a temple? Okay, have a look over at Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, starting at verse 11. Exodus 30, verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, that is to say, when you do a count, okay, when you do a count of the people, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, 
that when thou numberest them, there be no plague among them when thou number them. This shall they give every one that passeth among them that are numbered, that is to say, that are numbered, half a shekel. After the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Everyone that passeth, passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your, for your souls, and thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for their souls. Okay, this is a tax. It's a temple tax or a tabernacle tax before they built the temple. And it was once a year, half a shekel of silver. Okay, it's a temple tax. Fine, you know, we get... Guys, we're used to taxes, aren't we? Right. There's a few interesting things about this temple tax, though. Who will worship in the temple? Wonder that. Who gets to worship in the temple? The redeemed do. Only the redeemed. You're not, you're not redeemed, you don't get to worship. It was the same redemption for every person. The rich, the poor, the wise, the foolish, the old, the young, the famous, the infamous, all paid the same redemption. Redemption is the same for every single person in Israel. It was half a shekel. You didn't pay more, you didn't pay less. Redemption is fixed. It's the same price. It was fixed and it was fixed by God. It was the shekel of the tabernacle, it says. Not the shekel of the merchant, not the shekel of the 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 bazaar, it's the shekel of the tabernacle. The standard for redemption is fixed by God. It's His standard and His redemption. It's silver. Pure. Not an alloy. Not corrupted. Not mixed with anything else. It's pure silver. Just as grace and mercy are the redemption of the soul. So pure and unalloyed and not corrupted with works or pride. Don't tell me the gospel isn't found in the Old Testament. There it is in the redemption money. God fixes a price for redemption. It's the same for everybody and it must be pure and uncorrupted. Now, Jesus already had a problem with this temple tax thing. You know, he had an issue with temple tax. He already had one. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. When thou art come to Capernaum, Matthew 17, 24, they that received tribute money came to Peter and says, Doth not your master pay tribute? That is the temple tax. And he saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, 
And he said, they were coming into the house and Jesus said, oh, Simon, over here, Simon, Peter, want to have a word with you. He says, um, Jesus prevented him saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take up the fish that cometh that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. <coughs> take and give unto me, give unto them for thee and me. You see, Jesus hadn't paid the temple tax. He hadn't. Peter thought he had, but he hadn't. Why hadn't he paid the temple tax? Didn't it say everybody's got to pay the temple tax? Why hadn't he? Because it was his temple. That's why he said, who do they take the tax off? The strangers or, or their own children? And it's the strangers. Why don't I pay temple tax? Because it's my temple. Nevertheless, just so we don't upset people. Pete, go down to the sea, throw in a line, fish will bite it. Bring it up, open its mouth, and you'll find in its mouth one full uh, one shekel. One full shekel. Alright? One full shekel. Pay it for you and for me. He provided for himself and for Peter. Consider that our Lord paid a debt he did not owe for someone who couldn't pay it for themselves. The gospel is woven in every fibre and strand of scripture. you just got to go looking for it and it's there. He paid a debt he didn't owe for one who could not pay for themselves. But back to the temple. Okay. Incidentally, if you ever go to Israel, you can eat what they call St. Peter's fish and still catch them. The fish that he supposedly caught doing, doing that, don't bother. They're about this big and bony. Not really a flash fish at all. You know, go, go, go for something else in the, the meal. The St. Peter's fish is, is just not worth it. Okay, back to the temple. Here's the problem. The half-shekel temple tax had to be paid, but the temple authorities would not accept Roman coinage. Now, their argument was this. The Roman coins had a stamp on them of the head of the emperor, the god-emperor. So they said, we can't take this Roman coinage because it's breaking the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So we can't possibly put this Roman coinage into our temple treasury because that would be, oh, 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 so sinful. We insist that you change your foreign currency 
for local Judean currency, which doesn't have an emperor's stamp on it, and pay your temple tax with that. And of course, we can arrange for this transaction to be made for a very small fee. And you can trust us because, oh yes, we're licensed by Ananias the High Priest. These holy men who were too holy to touch Roman money. There's more about pieces of silver coming, just another sermon, but we'll keep going at the moment. Just want you to turn forward from where we are in Mark, just a couple of pages. Mark chapter 12. And we will be coming to this one again later. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 13. And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they saith unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. Okay, that's, we'll go, come to that later when we're getting through the Passion Week. He said, bring me a penny. Literally. He said, bring me a denarius. That's what the word was. Denarius. The standard Roman coin. Okay? Uh, remember, these guys who were so holy that they would not touch a Roman coin in the temple for worrying that they might inadvertently break the second commandment, were able to reach into their pockets and reef out a fistful of Roman money. Hypocrites! When it came to making a profit, they didn't care what what denomination it was. Let's return again to the temple cleansing. So we've seen why he was angry. Why the place was not just a house of merchandise, but it had become a den of thieves. They had corrupted the work of the temple, made it a place of buying and selling, and weren't even doing that honestly. Beginning in this day, and especially the next Tuesday, this is Monday, especially Tuesday, Jesus will be in the temple teaching and preaching. He will be verifying and fixing his claim to be the Messiah by what he says and what he does in the temple. This is going to be a day when you could, these next few days, when you could walk in off the streets of Jerusalem, sit yourself down in Solomon's porch around the edge of the Temple Mount, settle back and listen to the immortal Son of God teach. And he taught in the areas, not that were, you find he wasn't teaching in the areas that were restricted, not in the men's only areas or in the holy areas. He was teaching and instructing in the people's areas where the ordinary common men and women of Jerusalem could come in. What a privilege. 
What an amazing thing to be able to do. But he was not going to do it in a dirty temple. Jesus doesn't teach in a polluted temple. God will not instruct via a polluted vessel. God will not bless the truth in the unclean method. The message of the temple cleansing is really, really simple. Jesus wasn't going to use the temple to communicate the truth of God until he got it cleaned up. Until he threw out the hypocrites and the con men. Ever wondered why all those people who spend all that money and do all that effort on the, the media, preaching and teaching, don't achieve anything? Too many hypocrites and con men. That's why. And God will not bless the unclean vessel. Have a look at something. Look over in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Verse 13. 1 Corinthians 1. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 3. No, 1 Corinthians 3. That's a, too many ones there. It's 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. You ever noticed how many 316s there are in really, really good verses in the Bible? Yeah. This is 1 Corinthians 316. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Okay? Flick over to 6.19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are, oh yeah, bought with a price, redeemed, just like the children of Israel were redeemed before they could be before they could enter the temple. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God will not bless the unclean vessel. Not going to happen. Keep heading over and try 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3.15 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long that thou mayest knowest, know how to, thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Think about it. God's not going to bless an unclean church either. And I'm not talking about dust here. 
You can't evangelize the world with a worldly church. You know, you're not going nowhere with it. You can't expect God to bless the unclean person and you can't expect God to bless the unclean worldly church. We've never had so many gospel preachers out there and we've never had so little effect from them. Why? Because the temple has been polluted and God won't bless it. Jesus had to clean up the temple before he could use it, before he could teach in it, before he could instruct in it. Have you let the worldliness, have you let the things of merchandise and the things of the world and your past and your sin creep back into your life after it's been cleaned? Have you allowed after God redeemed you and brought you back to let those things come back in? And are you in need of a second cleansing? I'm not talking about a second blessing here. I'm talking about a bit of a renovation. The building's got a bit full of dove sellers, money changers. Needs to be cleaned out. Or maybe you're going... No, it's fine. Like it in here. I like my doves. Like my money changes. Real comfortable in this place. Is that because the ransom never been paid? The half shekel. The proof that you are a child of God never got paid. Because you've never been redeemed. It's not a problem that the world has crept in. The problem is the world never left. And you never left the world. If the ransom has never been paid for your soul, maybe that's why you feel so comfortable in the world. Suits you down to the ground. Because that's where you belong. That's where you're living. The message here is really simple. The whole point of Jesus cleansing the temple was so he could use it, so he could teach in it, so he could instruct people. And the whole message of the half shekel ransom money is to remind everybody that we are bought with a price. And if the price has never been paid for you, then you've never been redeemed. And you're not even part of the congregation not even part of the church of the living God. We have a world where thousands of unsaved people come to church every week and they sit in pews. And the problem is that the guy in the pulpit is no better than they are. And even though the words are said, they have no power, they have no effect, because the temple has been polluted. 
Has the ransom been paid for your soul? Or, and if it has been, have you allowed the things of the world to come back in and corrupt and fill up the temple? Our Lord came into the temple and he threw them out. He cleaned it up and he said, Now, let the redeemed of the Lord come in and I'll teach them some things. If you will allow God to come into your life and clean it up and throw out some stuff, I tell you what, He will teach you some things. And you'll sit and you'll go, Ah, I didn't know that. Yes, you did. It was there staring in the face the whole time, but it never made an impact. It never really got through to you until God did a work in your life. It's one of the the things that Julie says to me so often. She'll say, you know, I heard something that, that someone was preaching about. And you know, I'd heard that years and years ago. But it never made any sense to me. And it never made any... I couldn't understand what they were getting at. And now I can. And I said, that's because when you're unsaved, the Word of God means nothing to you. And it's dumb and it's stupid and it's foolish. And then when you get saved, when the ransom has been paid, when you're a child of God, you look at exactly the same words and you go, how wise, how clever, how marvellous. But you know, it's the same sometimes for a Christian. When they've allowed the noise of the world to dull their ears and the bright flashing lights of the world have dazzled their eyes, that the things of God look a little dull and plain and unappetizing allow the temple to be cleansed again throw out the things that shouldn't be there and the wondrous things of God's world will once again be open to you and he will come in and he'll sit down and he'll teach in Solomon's porch in your soul and things that you did not understand will become open and clear and understood and the wondrous things of the, of the Word of God will go, make you go, oh, never saw that before. Brethren, Jesus couldn't do much with a dirty temple. He had to clean it first. There's no point in coming to a dirty temple if the ransom hasn't been paid. Today, look into your heart. Does God need to cleanse the temple? Or do you need the ransom paid for your soul? If either one is the problem that you have today, you come and talk to me. And I'll talk to you about how the temple can be cleansed. Talk to our pastor. Let him instruct you on how you can once again be a temple ready for the Master's use and instruction.